0: And sit, and sit down. down.
1: Hello, strangers, and welcome to the latest episode of Strangers in a Cinema. I'm one of your co-hosts, Paul Anderson, here with co-host Pete Wall. Pete, how are you this week? Despondent, to be
0: honest with you, despondent. Um, (laughs) I pushed back the recording, as you're well aware this evening, Paul, because I had a very important uh, date with a certain Arsenal football club, the football club that I've supported since I was about seven years old, and yet again, they have failed to uh, perform and so i come into this podcast trying to lift my spirits again after seeing that abysmal excuse for a team performance um hopefully the two of us can combine a little better than the arsenal defense midfield or attack this
1: evening (laughs) well do you know how i avoid disappointment in football pete not following it maybe (laughs) Correct. That's exactly how it works. If you don't follow a team, listeners, you can't be disappointed. So uh, yeah, I avoid that. that I avoid that uh, that extra drama in my life. Although I am known to get occasionally animated around an international England game, shall we say? So yeah, we'll leave leave the football at the door, uh, which sounds like is what Arsenal did tonight as well. So yeah, that's my one football gag uh, for the podcast. Um, Pete, what have we got coming up this week? Well, pretty
0: much, Paul. Uh, this evening we have four listeners. A podcast of the finest order. Um, We're going to have all the usual sections of the show, but we're going to hang today's show not just off a feature or two features, but actually a feature and a top five and a very special top five in so much as we're going to start rolling out some top fives in genres for the end of the year so of course we're going to do a best 10 films of the year favorite 10 films of the year list in due course but before that we want to get out uh some of our opinions and some of our picks for like i say potted genres so today we're starting with the top five horror films of 2019 and after the horror show from arsenal i think it's quite suitable (laughs) for a for a top five to run off the back of that so that will be uh the top five the feature for for today will be the Ryan Johnson movie Knives Out which we've both had a chance to see bang on its release in the UK. In addition to that we've got all the other sections of the show including coming attractions, previewing the films coming out over the weekend, we've got popcorn movies, reviewing the things that we've been watching over the last seven days And we've got the first section of the show that we call In the Foyer, where we're going to talk about a little bit of film news from this week, Paul. There is really one story that took my attention, at least this week, and it involves a film that I talked about on last week's show. That film is Blue Story, the uh, directorial debut from Rap Man. Um, Yeah, can you you fill us in a little bit? Because you know about this one too. Can you fill us in a little bit on what exactly went on with this
1: movie? So my understanding is that a screening of this movie in a cinema in Birmingham I think the Star City Cinema so quite a major cinema complex If I, it is a massive cinema complex if I remember rightly um, so the Star City Cinema there was an outbreak of a pretty a pretty nasty violence to be fair um, ru- rumoured possibly to be gang related violence that the police had to get involved in I think there were machete uh, arrests made people with machetes people had to use tasers a lot of people were evacuated in for the era. pretty ugly scenes all told Pete to be honest and not what you'd really expect from uh, your average trip to the cinema in all fairness. Um and in response to this, so this was, I think this is a view cinema if I remember no, I know this is a view cinema. I don't know why I say it, I think that. So this was a view cinema in which this happened. Um, in response to this, uh view cinemas and showcase cinemas as well. Uh, pulled the film from their release schedules and refused to screen it. Uh, as of recording on Thursday night, I think it's now back on in both View and Showcase. I know Showcase were the first to relent and put the film back on, and View, I think, have said today, possibly, or yesterday, that they will show the film again. Pete, is that pretty much accurate, do we think? Yeah, yeah, I think you've summed
0: it up pretty well. Um, Obviously, as you say, ugly scenes, no one wants to see that. No one wants to feel in any way unsafe when they go out for an evening at the cinema, no matter which part of the country you're in and no matter which films are playing at the time. I mean, I think the other side of this story is the fact that the way that it's been covered has been, to my mind, hugely, hugely disproportional to the events that actually occurred. Um, I mean, I would say number one offender here is the Sun newspaper, not for the first time, who described the incident as a 100-strong machete mob descending on a cinema. Now, I don't know about you, Paul, but when I hear the phrase 100 strong machete mob, I think 100 people wielding machetes. Uh, Yes, yeah, absolutely. That is certainly how most people would read that. Nothing like that happened. There may have been dozens of kids around the cinema at the time, and these are kids, they're teenagers. That doesn't make it right, but I think it changes slightly the way you might interpret the story. And then having patted down these uh, offenders, the young offenders who were in the proximity, I think there may have been three weapons found in total again mm. one weapon in a cinema is too many weapons in a cinema but let's not be out here calling this a hundred strong machete mob it's ridiculous it's embarrassing and actually Ratman, the director of the movie has come out and just outright said that he thinks the ban against the movie which originally was uh, put in place by view cinema and also for for a time by um showcase yeah showcase uh, cinemas that's right uh is racist And, you know, I don't think either of us are the people to say whether he is right or wrong in that assertion. Um, And I don't think we take it upon ourselves to say so. But I, I, I have some sympathy for the fact that this film in particular has been targeted across the country after a single incident in a single cinema. Where where do you stand from that generalised point of view?
1: I mean there's bits and pieces I've been reading and reading bits and pieces in the articles and I think the right-wing press has kind of gone for the film a bit as you'd expect them to do so and sort of accuse it of glamourising gang violence. Now my, I haven't seen the film my understanding of the film is it does no such thing you're probably best placed to more but this it strikes me as people basically once again trying to demonise culture they don't understand um, and accusing it of glam- basically they've probably not so I would say a lot of the journalists writing this trash haven't seen it um, and are just demonising culture they don't understand for the sake of probably newspaper sales in all honesty Pete yeah, I mean you've seen it so you're probably better place to comment to be fair yeah so. man
0: like I mean I get it there's gang violence in the movie there's gang violence in an awful lot of movies, not least you know the Irishman, the Scorsese movie that releases this week. I mean, are we going to see bans if there's a a, a a bit of a violent outbreak at one of the early screenings of that film? No, we will not, sir. Um, but yeah, point being, Blue Story very much reads as an anti-gang affiliation film. It's the kind of thing that when I worked in a youth centre in a in an area of Nottingham where we had kids who were sort of on the periphery or on the precipice of getting involved in gang culture, it's the kind of thing you would show to those kids to show them this is the way it can all go wrong. If you go down this path, that's what this film's about. This film isn't about glamorizing gang violence. For, 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 to think that even for a moment, I think it is naive, um, you know, at best, really. And so it's a dangerous precedent because if you're going to say we blanket ban the screening of a film that includes, you know, person on person violence into gang violence, even, then there are an awful lot of films that are going to have to be pulled from cinemas if we see any kind of incidents Absolutely. during or around screenings i mean you know i i'm loath to draw a comparison because it is totally different but you didn't get a blanket ban of the dark knight after the awful events that happened at the dark knight screening because the events of the dark knight screening aren't pinned to the action in the film even though some people would try to make that connection i think you know erroneously so why is it then that blue story is suddenly pulled all across the country i just think it's a pr Blunder by the cinema chain, to be honest, in dealing with this thing, and none of nothing that I'm saying is to condone anything that happened in that cinema. Clearly, it's incredibly. No, and I don't think you know?
1: anyone, I don't think anyone rational would accuse you of that, to be honest, in terms of what you're saying. You're not, you're not condoning what took place in this slightest. So. Um, but yeah the media the medias the media being the right wing tabloid press being the right wing tabloid press again, isn't it let's be honest <laughs> yeah 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 yeah
0: and then like you said i mean looking for clicks and looking to make money off off ratman and his film while at the same time you know being seen to sort of deride it and 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 vilify it so yeah they're trying to have it both ways i think on you know in this regard um yeah a sort of a regrettable thing all around because regrettable that we had images that you know distressed people there were kids there i know frozen 2 opened over the weekend and so obviously there were families and kids out for that movie around about the same time that all this horrible stuff was kicking off and at the same time the other side of it's regrettable as well because i just don't think the cinema should be pulling films because one incident happened in one cinema. Um, because I think that that tacitly gives the impression that the cinema believes that the film motivated mm, the violence, yeah. or will motivate more violence, I suppose, more more uh, pressingly, really. Um, yeah, yeah. Or, or I mean, it'll be interesting, Paul, when you get the chance to see the film, to see what you think about the movie, but I would be shocked if you came to the conclusion that that in fact it is the kind of movie that promotes violence, you know. And that opinion, you know, people can have that opinion for sure. Yeah,
1: I mean, I've, I've been trying to get to it. It's only on quite late, I think, in Bath at the moment. I'm going to try and get to it next week when my work come when my work comes down significantly. Um, but yeah, I do, I do really want to get to it because I'm intrigued from what you said about it last week. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward looking forward to catching up with it. So, yeah. Well, let us know what you think, listeners. I would I would imagine you'll probably all agree with us. I'd be very surprised if you don't. Um, but you're more than entitled to more than entitled to take issue with what we've said. And if you agree with you banning it, then obviously, you know, let us know. Um, but expect a fight. Yeah, right. And, and I mean, people, like you said, Paul, the,
0: the screenings have been fairly thin on the ground around the country. So people who have seen the movie, even just on that front, we don't have to tie it all into the silly tabloid coverage. Like, no. what do you think of the movie? Did you enjoy the movie? Do you think he's a promising film director? And, you know, do you want to see more from the guy? and talking of things that you know people need to catch up with such as Blue Story we've caught up with some movies over the last seven days and we're going to talk about them aren't we Paul and we'll do that in a section of the show called Popcorn Movies that comes up right after this little break
1: So yes as pete mentioned before the break this is popcorn movies this is where we talk briefly uh, about films we've seen in the last seven days they can be any age any films anything really that we've watched as long as it's a film that's pretty much the only stipulation uh pete i'm going to jump in first if i may um with the film harriet uh which is quite a new release actually which i caught caught up with earlier in the week uh this is directed by casey lemons uh starring cynthia revo and just to give you the rundown from imdb it's the extraordinary tale of the um historical character harriet tubman and her escape from slavery and transformation into one of america's greatest heroes um so this is cynthia revo who we we talked about this i think on coming attractions last week cynthia revo is an actress that we are both big fans of and i think will be a massive star um at some point um and certainly she is the shining light of this film she is absolutely brilliant in this and um certainly without a doubt does justice to the importance of her character here um for me though it's just a shame there's some interesting ideas thrown around in this film the rest of it unfortunately outside Cynthia Arrivo, is just very very run of the mill I thought certain elements of this bar pick were rushed certain there was not enough time spent I don't think building the character properly kind of jumped around in time quite a lot um And at times, I'll be honest, I think the rest of the cast outside of Cynthia Revo, it felt a bit like a TV movie in places, to be honest. Um, And I came away thinking, I I, I was quite excited based on the trailer. Janelle Monet turns up in this, but in all honesty, isn't in it for long enough to really make a positive impact here. Um, She's got a very, very small role. Um, Yeah, ultimately, I was quite excited for this and I came away a little bit disappointed. It's all right, but the Cynthia Revo deserves better than this. Uh, and that was Harriet. First for me this this week. Then another one that we previewed, I believe, on last week's show, and it released at
0: uh, the end of last week is Twenty One Bridges. Uh, this is a, a action vehicle for Chadwick Boseman, uh, T'Challa from uh, Black Panther, of course. This one I felt like when we did the preview wasn't necessarily going to be the movie that broke um, the action career of Chadwick Boseman in terms of uh, opening him up to sort of a wider audience as a viable leading man in action stuff and I maybe was a little bit harsh on it I mean it's a good movie. It's a perfectly good movie, Paul. This 21 Bridges. Uh, we've got a. Uh, Bozeman's character is like an embattled NYPD detective. He faces a situation where multiple officers of the law have been slain, their bodies inside and outside of a location where it seems like there's been some kind of drug deal gone wrong. And the uh, perps have got away in a vehicle and they need to be caught as soon as possible because obviously the more hours that elapse, the less chance the NYPD. YPD have got of closing the net on these guys so Bozeman takes the decision that he wants all 21 bridges that go on and off Manhattan Island to be shut down so that okay. so that they can basically yeah like kettle or close in on these guys and give them nowhere to run what we get from there is yeah very like workable um fairly well shot kind of moody uh action cinema and then a bit of a mounting conspiracy again pretty standard if you like this kind of fit thing like think something like a triple nine this is very much in the wheelhouse okay. of, uh, of a triple nine type of a movie maybe not directed with as much flair um, as that movie by uh, brian kirk it is who directed 21 bridges but you've got fairly strong supporting role for jk simmons He's a guy that i always you know like like to see work in his magic on character uh, positions in, in movies Um, although where his character arc goes is is maybe a little bit laughable by the end of the movie. Uh, Sienna Miller plays the detective who teams up with Chadwick Boseman to try to uh, seemingly help him get justice for the officers who who were slain on that night. But yeah, perfectly workable stuff, pretty enjoyable popcorn fare, perfect for this section of the show, really. 21 Bridges is (laughs) decent, and it's the kind of movie that... Once it turns up on streaming, which it will do, um, is well worth, you know, an hour and a half of your time on a weekend night or whatever. So I've got not a lot bad to say about it, even though it's not going to get on any of my lists at the end of this year. You know, (laughs) it's by far, um, you know, it's far from being a bad movie. That's uh, 21 Bridges on general release still right now. What have you got second, Paul?
1: Uh, this is the night before uh, from 2015, directed by Jonathan Levine. Uh, this has come up on our top festive movies, I think, um, either last year or possibly the year before. When when did we do that? We've done that up at some point, I'm sure we have. Um, yeah, so this is. Uh, this stars uh, Joseph Gordon Levitt, Seth Rogen, and Anthony Mackey. Um, as three lifelong friends spend the night out in New York City looking for a mysterious Christmas party known as the Nutcracker Ball. Now, the more I watch this film, I'll be honest, the more I absolutely love it. I've watched it. Uh, we had some friends over the other night for a film night, and we watched it with them, and uh, we'd imbued. A number of bevies, shall we say, when we put this on, and this makes this imb- imbuing a number of bevies before this film makes this film all the better, I'll be honest. Um the Seth Rogan, Anthony Mackey, and Jeff gordon Levitt have got great chemistry together. They're very, very funny. Um, it's just a very, very silly film, um, all told really. Uh, quite it's got quite a positive message at the end. It's kind of positive message about friendship. I always like that. I'm a bit of, I'm a bit of a sucker for the uh slightly soppier moments in film, shall we say. And it features what is still probably my favourite Michael Shannon performance. Uh, in which he plays Professor Green uh, a high school pot dealer and he is clearly having the time of his life here so if you haven't caught up with The Night Before yet and you want a silly Christmas comedy that I promise will make you laugh more than once then The Night Before is it and it's rapidly climbing up my list of favourite Christmas films the more I watch it uh, so that is The Night Before. Yeah I mean
0: it's also a positive
1: message about your,
0: your wife or fiancé giving you a box of drugs just because she wants to have a lovely <laughs> old time um, but yeah I, yes, I'm there for yeah. that movie It's it's great and You know, every time it comes up on this show, it's worth talking about, and it's the kind of film that's well, like you said, it it got onto a list before, and there's probably ways in which we can get it onto lists in the future. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. If you haven't seen it, yeah, you said already, I think,
1: but it's streaming right now, isn't it? That movie? It's on Amazon Prime. It's on Amazon Prime streaming at the moment. So if you haven't seen it, honestly, guys, check it out. It's a it's a lot of fun. No excuses. Uh,
0: Another one that you've got no excuses for missing, if you're interested in this kind of thing, is Britney runs a marathon, which is also on the Amazon Prime platform at the moment. Uh, This one's stars Gillian Bell as a woman who just hit her 30s and realizes that maybe her life's not I think she maybe she's in her late 20s but she thinks that her life is not going the way that it should go and one of the things at the center of her own personal crisis of identity is the fact that she believes she is overweight and unfit and unattractive and unappealing to sort of the wider world so she sets about trying to get herself into shape in order to run eventually the New York City marathon this one's directed and written by a a man called paul downs colaitso who i believe here is directing for the first time at least in feature form and he bases this story off his own best friend i believe who was actually called britney and crops up at the end of the film in some stock footage of her endeavors uh, as a as an aspiring runner um I I like this movie quite a lot. You've seen it as well, haven't you, Paul? Yeah, I watched it last night, I think, if I remember rightly. Yeah, it's a good one. I mean, because I think it does a good job of handling this self-improvement arc in a way that isn't patronising, doesn't talk down to its audience, isn't kind of holier-than-thou, and in fact shows that, uh, or fleshes out the the Britney character, the Gillian Bell
1: character, as quite a realistic um, human being, which I think is... Yeah, I 100% 100 agree with you. That's one of the highlights for me is like she is a bitch to people at times she is not always a holier than thou and she's not always a, n- a nice person which the same can be said for any of us so yeah no sorry uh, sorry to cut in but yeah completely agree yeah yeah and
0: and i think it's also like you, you almost expect less than that from sort of uh, knockabout comedy stuff like this sometimes is that you're not really going to get much of a digging into the psychology of, of the protagonist, you know. Um, any number of Netflix or, or Amazon Prime or other streaming platforms are available. Any number of the, the comedy product that gets thrown out there in the sort of 90 minute or so format is is really quite um, paper thin. So yeah, I, I thought this was perfectly good. And as somebody who has tried to improve their own life through the medium of running around a bit um, is fairly relatable as well you know it's fairly relatable from the moment she joins her first running club and has a kind of uh, you know huffing and puffing horrible experience of running around the park with some strangers all the way to the point where she's sort of got a sense of uh, community and belonging with some of these people who are all trying to improve themselves together it's it's relatable stuff for a lot of people these days I think so yeah I think there's a, a lot of good stuff here and Julian Bell's really good man and like Gillian Bell's a good actress anyway she's done good comedy stuff in Workaholics and elsewhere but like this is some of her best uh, work I think because it's not just easy fluffy comedy material it's also as we're mentioning like digging a little bit deeper than that so yeah enjoyed it a lot Britney Runs a Marathon available on Amazon Prime have you got any more Paul?
1: Uh, yeah, I want to throw it lump two in together. Uh, I have been rewatching Star Wars at a slow pace in anticipation of Rise of Skywalker, which people may have noticed is coming out uh, in December. Uh, I've got as far I've got through the prequels, Pete. You'd be pleased to know I've managed to get through the prequels. Uh, I sat there on my day off yesterday and I watched uh, Attack of the Clones, Episode Two, everyone's least favorite possibly, uh, and then Revenge of the Sith. Uh, just to sum up quickly, what I thought of these on rewatch: uh, Attack of the Clones, the first half is absolutely terrible, and the second half is mostly entertaining I still can't recommend it I can't strongly recommend episode 2 to anyone because the acting's terrible, the plot's clunky but I have some fun with some of the set pieces at the end, there's lots of Jedis, there's lots of lightsabers, and sometimes that's all you need. Uh, but yes, yeah, still not still not great uh, by a long stretch. And then Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. For me, it's the only prequel where the good just about outweighs the bad. Um, again, it has some serious problems in places. It's very, very clunky. Uh, the acting is not always the best, although it's definitely a big step up from um, Attack of the Clones but uh it feels like it's got direction it feels like it ad- it feels like it's adding something to the star wars saga and the lightsaber duel between obi-wan and anakin at the end is one of my favorite moments in film i thought it was incredibly well handled and kind of lived up and uh, over exceeded my childhood expectations of what that scene would be like so yeah still not without its problems but revenge of the sith is definitely my favorite prequel uh next up solo and rogue one the spin-offs uh but that's that's for another week <laughs> And Mandalorian so far? Uh, how could I watch Mandalorian? People? Oh, it's not out over here. Course, how dare of you? Uh, yeah, no. Mandalorian. Mandalorian is not flawless. Uh, it's lacking in characters, but I'm rather enjoying it because it's pure Star Wars fan service. So I hear. Yeah, from someone all, that's seen it. All I've really heard because
0: I uh, haven't watched it, and I, I don't know if I, if I will watch it. You know, and those of that you who listen to this show will probably get why. But um, Werner Herzog, who's one of the supporting cast on that show, I understand, has uh, come out uh, accusing the the makers of almost being gutless for their um, uh, the idea that they had to replace Baby Yoda with CGI. Yeah, which I feel that was the well, decision that in the end they didn't take. Right.
1: The, yeah, the Baby Yoda uh, puppet apparently reduced Werner Herzog to. T- on set which i just, just gonna, I, love, I love this absolutely love it i mean he is clearly having the time of his life like over enunciating in every single word um as the, as the villain here so yeah he's having a great time of it but... no you know it, it, it's fun it's flawed it's, it is lacking in characters it's lacking in depth it's only half an hour but it's it almost feels like sort of half an hour set pieces it's like watching a video game at times but for me as a big star wars fan it is perfect fan service There we go. There's a Mandalorian review thrown in there as well. Good stuff. Right. We will be
0: back then after another little break with Coming Attractions, the section of the show where we're just going to preview the films that are coming out over the weekend in case you've got maybe enough to go and see one movie and you want to know which one is worth seeing. Uh, We will give you the details right after this little break.
1: Right, and back we are with coming attractions. As I say every week, and I say every week that we're going to change the the workload on this, and we never do. So Pete's done all the work, uh, and I get to basically dismiss or dismiss these films out of hand.
0: (laughs) Well, dismiss or dismiss are the two options so I give to you, sir. Charlie's Angels, Paul. No, no. They haven't brought back the classic Charlie's Angels or Charlie's Angels full throttle for another round at the cinema. This is the Elizabeth Banks directed and co-written project that stars a combination of Kristen Stewart, Naomi Scott and Ella Belinska as the eponymous angels of the title. Um, Early signs not particularly promising in terms of reviews on Charlie's Angels and currently holding a meta score of 52 for what it's worth and it feels to me, having not yet seen the movie, I missed the advanced screening that I had tickets for which might tell its own story Uh, Yes, having not seen the film so far I've got to withhold judgement a little bit but it feels as though maybe there's been some misjudgment on the part of the production where you've got a star in the form of Christian Stewart, although not one that you'd automatically attach to material like this Um, far from it. And then maybe Naomi Scott and Ella Belinska, who are names that are not widely known and it feels like maybe if you were going to take on this project right now it had to go a very different way to the sort of fluffy shiny direction that they went with the previous two movies what do you think about that man do you think there's any hope for this thing it's bombed in america so
1: i don't i don't know i like elizabeth banks enough christian stewart's great Naomi scott who's was the shining light in aladdin in all honesty she was great as princess jasmine so I'm. I don't know. I'm. I, I want this. I want to take some enjoyment out of this. I, I. think when the renew when the reviews have been sort of as consistently poor as they've been, I'd say there's there's probably little chance they've nailed this. But I'm. I'm still hoping it might be sort of campy, silly fun to be honest. But I. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's
0: unfortunate to see Elizabeth Banks already having to kind of backpedal and sort of defend the movie at this early stage obviously it's it's had its american release already and it's, it's getting one wide in the uk over the weekend and like you man like i've led into the release of this movie hoping for the best uh, maybe expecting less than that and it seems like maybe it's going the way of of being one that that sort of, um, yeah, doesn't live up to expectations, perhaps. But we will see. Uh, watch this space and we'll bring a full review of the movie in due course. Probably on next week's show or one of next week's shows. Because it looks like we've got to pump out a number of a number of episodes over the Christmas <laughs> period. Uh, I've got another one for you. It is Queen and Slim. This one is... Um, a couple's first date takes an unexpected turn when a police officer pulls them over this one directed by Melina Matsukas and co-written by Lena Waithe and based on the story by James Frey or James Fry I should say the guy whose um, book A Million Little Pieces was was adapted earlier in the year uh, and was Whoa! It was something. Uh, this one stars <laughs> Daniel Kaluuya in a central role.
1: Queen and Slim, uh, your thoughts, Paul? I think the trailer looks great. In all honesty, I just think it. Yeah, I think this this looks like it's gonna. It's, this looks like it's gonna hit the spot for me. I think um, it looks. Have you seen the trailer?
0: No, I haven't actually.
1: Uh, okay. No, it looks. It looks. Really looks quite interesting. Um, and Lena. Lena Thwaites, is it or Lena? Lena Wait. Lena Wait, yeah, she's she seems to be or quite a Waif. talented writer. You might uh, Lena Wait, I think, yeah, yeah. Uh, she does seem to be like a very talented writer. I think she's done a lot of comedy stateside, hasn't she? Is my is my understanding, unless I've got that completely wrong. Yeah, um, yeah, no, I'm I'm quietly quietly hopeful. Well, I say not quietly hopeful. I'm hopeful for this one. I think this might be pretty good if we can find it anywhere.
0: <laughs> true, true. Also out this week, then, we have The Biggest Little Farm. This is a documentary um, from or about John Chester and his wife, Molly, who worked to develop a sustainable farm on 200
1: acres outside of Los Angeles. Uh,
0: Sustainable farming documentaries,
1: Paul, where do you stand? Uh, Big fan, big fan. Um, I'm going to do a top five sustainable farming documentaries um, shortly after this on a different podcast that will not go to air. Um. The image I'm looking at here on the page is a woman leaning on a fence. I'm intrigued
0: okay I'm actually
1: going to see this uh, I'm just checking when uh, because Odin is the show I saw a trailer for this in front of uh, that 2040 documentary that I um, talked about this actually does look quite interesting to be fair yeah um, so no I'm quite quite looking forward to this one I'm going to see it this week next week at some point. Both. around about the same time I'm going around about the same time I'm seeing Die Hard at the cinema which is also very exciting <laughs> very uh, contrasting yeah. films to go and yeah, see. Yeah, yeah
0: uh, this you know you say this looks promising and it seems to be that critics agree on the quality of the movie is 74 on Metascore or Metacritic at the moment at time of recording so yeah The Biggest Little Farm um, looks like something worth checking out and uh, I'm sure you'll roll around to reviewing it in popcorn movies on an upcoming episode yeah absolutely Um, and if I get the chance to see it then maybe I can join you on that okay that brings us then to the end of Coming Attractions for this week Uh, of course I should mention out over the weekend as well uh, is Knives Out although in fact the release date I think was a day or two ago um is that right paul tuesday or wednesday it dropped this one i think it came out yesterday okay yeah Yeah, yesterday wednesday that would make sense and we're recording on the thursday so rather than preview it in coming attractions we're going to review it in our feature section which will be right after this
1: So, this is Knives Out, um, Ryan Johnson's first film after, oh God, I have to say it, after The Last Jedi, Pete. This is Ryan Johnson's follow up film to The Last Jedi. So, uh, we've dragged him kicking and screaming, and hopefully, so he goes nowhere near Star Wars ever again, uh, into, um, I would say, a film that I would say is more certainly for me than anyway in sort of Ryan Johnson's comfort zone, which is, again, I guess similar to Last Jedi, messing around with genre conventions, messing around with people's expectations um, and landing firmly in uh, a whodunit it. I think is the best way to describe this, Um, which is a genre I haven't seen a lot of of late. So it was quite refreshing to see this come out. In all fairness, Uh, very starry cast. um, But Pete, tell us more. Yeah, I mean, talking Ryan Johnson, I think that um, first
0: I was going to say controversially that I think that Last Jedi is not bad, Um, but secondly that uh, (laughs) when you see yeah, Who Done It story, Ryan Johnson in the director's chair, immediately my mind was cast back to Brick, the early Ryan Johnson maybe featured debut actually. Uh, in which you've got these high school students who are all speaking at 100 miles an hour, and a mystery, and someone's gone missing. In fact, they're they're dead, and uh, yeah, the ensuing mystery is what sort of uh, surrounds that that movie. And a really impressive debut it was as well. And a thing that I think got a lot of film fans on board with Ryan Johnson as a sort of emerging force. And now having been through, you know, whether it's working on uh, Breaking Bad or Looper or all the stuff that's come since, all the way to Last Jedi, we're back to maybe what feels like uh real ryan johnson wheelhouse which is a a, yeah, mi- absolutely, a yeah. mystery plot so here we have a, de- a detective who is investigating the death of a patriarch in an eccentric combative family to say the least um that de- detective is played in uh, inimitable fashion by daniel craig more on that in in due course and uh At the centre of the mystery is the death of, as I said, the patriarch of the family. Who is the actor, Paul? Fill me in. Uh, It is Christopher Plummer. Christopher Plummer. Thank you. That's what I was looking for. Yes, Christopher Plummer uh, has died seemingly in fishy circumstances although the initial um, post-mortem indicates that it is the result of a suicide um, having slit his own throat with a knife Uh, at this point the detectives are brought in particularly Craig's detective Benoit Blanc whose methods (laughs) are renowned and who sort of sits mysteriously in a corner observing a series of interviews with members of the family uh, ranging from the like of uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, Michael Shannon, Tony Collette uh, all of these people tr- Don Johnson's in there as well Don it? Johnson is in there as well, yeah, yeah trying to give alibis and justifications for their actions on the night of the murder slash suicide, make of it what you will more on our opinions about Knives Out right after this Thank you all for getting together like this it isn't legally necessary but I thought because you're all in town and some of you are leaving soon Excuse me Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to gently request that you all stay in town until the investigation is completed. Well, he's gently requesting, but I'm gonna have to make that an order. No one move until we figure this all out. What?
1: Can we ask why?
0: Has something changed? No. No, it hasn't changed, or no, we can't ask?
1: Mr. Stevens, uh, you may continue. So yeah as you say I completely agree with what you said uh, before the clip as this feels to me like back in Ryan Johnson's sort of comfort zone really which is kind of the mystery. if you yeah there is definitely similarities between this and Brick uh, and for me it was it was you know it was nice to see this because as much as I didn't like Last Jedi I've not ever said that Ryan Johnson's a bad director and I'm a big fan of all of his other films I think he's a very very talented director um and this uh, from the outset I think reinforces that for me in all honesty, I think it was, it was nice to see in the cast as well. We've got Chris Evans here and Anna de Armas. It's nice to see Anna de Armas get a bigger role than she normally gets, to be fair. And I think she did pretty well with it. Um, where did you want to start on this? I mean, I, I, I like this. Yeah, I, yeah. Out of well, the gate, I really like this film. Well, maybe
0: that's the point to start with it then. We should explain what that role is. Because Anna de Armas is absolutely central to the story she plays the nurse day nurse night nurse maid yeah. what would you call her to the christopher nurse, I guess. Yeah. yeah to the christopher plummer character so she's responsible for not only taking care of his general well-being but also administering his prescriptions his drugs that he needs to take in order to regulate his health and keep him alive basically and uh, on the night of the death, it turns out that she was with him and administered his drugs, and may or may not have made some kind of critical error um, in what she did on that on that fateful night. So there's a t- there's a sort of wrinkle though to the diana's character, which is that unlike all of these other backstabbing, fairly vicious, fairly vile members of the family, uh, she is not firstly a, a member of the family by blood, although she's sort of treated somewhat as such by some members but she is also unable to lie or i should say more rightly she is able to lie but every time she lies she spontaneously vomits so this obviously (laughs) gives a crack detective like benoit blanc uh, quite an in to getting the truth out of the situation when one of your key suspects throws up every time they tell a lie so um, it brings with it like this kind of uh, immediate humor to the story that is only, you know, on top of the kind of absurd nature of the Daniel Craig character to begin with and the overtop over-the-top characterization of the other people involved in the family. So yeah, like you started with Anna Diarmas, and I think that is, like I say, a good place to start because what what a character she is in this thing. <laughs>
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's just nice to nice to see her get some proper work to do with a role, to be honest. Because she's been good, she's been great in in what I've seen her in supporting roles, but she takes certainly more of a more of a central stage here, and I think actually does a good job of um, holding her own against some presence of of a lot starier names. In in all fairness to her, um, and I think and I think she she brings like a, a vulnerability to the role that I didn't haven't seen her sort of bring before in terms of more rounded performance. And I think, the, but that's in the, as you say, that's. To talk too much about this film is to drift into spoiler territory in terms of the story and elements of certain characters. And like, and I don't know if you... the screening we were in there was an, an into there was a video thing from Ryan Johnson at the beginning asking people not to spoil the movie. Um, so we're certainly not going to do that here. But I thought I thought she was great, and I think she held her own. She held her own against everyone else, and I think the like and i think yeah and the the other characters were incredibly well played and i think the the sense of the sense of the absurd here i think worked really really to the film's favor because i think this without those absurd characters and without the the kind of twist that it did you've seen this kind of thing 20 30 40 50 times before on television in films like although not I wouldn't say there's been that many who done it recently it's a pretty well worn genre and I think the the sense of the absurd and the silliness of this film I think is what makes it work for me I think Johnson taking that direction with the tone I think was was a, was a masterstroke
0: yeah yeah I'm basically with you I think that that I want to um, assess the movie basically on the uh, Jonathan Creek scale uh, Jonathan Creek is a <laughs> is a popular British mystery series uh, a headline by Alan Davies in which a detective goes into a situation where it seems like there's no possible solution there's no way of identifying who the real killer is and then miraculously he is able to do to deduce what in fact has happened and it's always a sort of convoluted solution and it felt very much of a piece with this material now what i would say in um you know that on the positive side of this assessment about Knives Out is that unlike Jonathan Creek which at times can sort of drag in terms of the dramatic sections of the show or maybe the interpersonal sections of the show that aren't directly about the mystery I think Knives Out is a far better piece of work because you have this like (laughs) crackling dialogue you have yeah larger than life characters and they're all almost all really really engaging pretty much throughout the movie I would Mm. say though on the other side that um, and it, it I promise isn't giving you anything you know Uh, that that I shouldn't give away about the plot, the way that the mystery itself is handled, if you are, like myself, a Jonathan Creek aficionado and devotee, it might leave you
1: slightly underwhelmed, maybe. Slightly underwhelmed. But... I can kind of see where you're coming from. I think someone, I think it was reading on Polygon, I think it was. Uh, they were saying that maybe it's more of a why done it than a who done it, which I can kind of see, to be fair. Because, yeah, I suppose it's, yeah, it doesn't take a lot. I guess the people probably will work this out. Um, uh, yeah, I kind of see where you're coming from, to be fair. I'm not an Alan Creek aficionado like you. So for me, it took me by surprise. But, um, yeah. Yeah, well, <laughs> evidently not, because he just called it Alan Creek um yeah <laughs> but uh but, Jonathan Green. but yeah i was
0: thinking of alan Wake, sorry. but yeah and it's weird man because in the film um i sort of was second guessing a lot and that's the pleasure of a thing like this right when you've got a whodunit the pleasure of it is trying to be um either just letting yourself get carried along and thinking i'm not going to think about it too much which is a perfectly justifiable position or trying to figure it out at every turn like oh, okay how does that tie in with that tie in with that right how does this mechanism work and there are certain key elements where either it's loose writing or ryan johnson has thrown in a number of red herrings and i hope it's the Mm. latter i really hope it's the latter and i would i would believe that it is because i think he's a smart guy i think he's a savvy guy and i think he's done a pretty good job of 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 pulling together an intriguing mystery and and a crowd-pleasing mystery as well right this one's going to go over well with a pretty big audience, I would imagine.
1: I think so. Yeah, I think you could you could take the whole you could take the whole family to this, and by the whole family, I mean you could take your kids to it, and you could take your grandma to it. Like literally, the whole family. I think it's a certainly a film with with very very broad appeal. Um, and again, to make something broad, which to be honest, like if some for me normally things with broad appeal, it's normally a big it's a big off button for me if something if I think something's trying to play all generations or play or play for kind of a, not middle of the road. Maybe that's, that's the wrong word, but like. It will do, and it will do it very, very well. There's there's, there's things in here for everyone. And I think, yeah, they, so the sort of warning signs went up and they didn't need to be there because I think this film was just its just a lot of fun, to be honest. It's just a very, very fun, uh, pacey, well-acted and well-written um, silly it, which I had a great time with.
0: Yeah, and, and sort of late on, fairly late on in the movie, you get the introduction of the character played by Chris Evans. And Chris Evans just gets to be this kind of smarmy, <laughs> like, uh, you know, super. Superior character And I really enjoy. I think
1: he's it strikes me as that he's playing the guy he played in Scott Pilgrim, to be honest, just in a right. few years down the line. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ransom Drysdale is the character's yeah. name here, which I kind of love. But
0: uh, yeah, yeah. Like, it was really cool to just see him in body and just, like, be allowed to take the uh, handbrake off and just be as smarmy as he wanted to be for the time that he is on screen. So yeah. really appreciate that. I felt like, um, you know, and I'm, not, and I'm not here to pick holes in the movie, but dependent on your particular fan uh, affinity with various actors in this starry cast as Paul mentioned Jamie Lee Curtis has a very limited role in the movie Uh, very limited role in the movie which I found slightly surprising given that she is you know sort of so prominently uh amongst the, the key players and I think Toni Collette maybe has a, a similarly relatively small role in the movie but she has a meatier role to get her teeth into and like t- again like the Chris Evans assessment uh, Toni Collette being allowed to be this sort of new agey hippie um, kind of r- bit of a waster and a bit of a, a kind of um, I don't know what, what would you call her these days like she just kind of floats through life kind yeah. of trying to come up with a new idea for a startup off someone else's money and she's all like floaty clothing and bangles and stuff she was amazing it reminded me of uh, there's a, a show called Enlightened where Laura Dern returns to her job having figured out how everything works in the world by like meditating and stuff and uh, yeah th- this role and that role I think had s- sort of something in common and, and it reminded me of such a good show but yeah I mean where are you on these these other performances I mean like you said good performances clearly but what else stood out apart from Anna Diarmas? that we've discussed already
1: uh yeah just i said just the pace of the film really to be honest i think everyone everyone was clearly having a good time with it i think at some point the the, it was inevitable certain characters were going to get sidelined in the direction the story took Um, maybe they could have spent a bit more time with some of the other characters and a bit less on the ones they focused on i guess if i'm looking for if i'm looking for holes because certain certain acts certain performances were very very good but as you say, like it would have been nice to have seen more of some of these sort of over-the-top performances. I don't think it's to the detriment necessarily massively to the detriment of the film, but I can certainly see where you're coming from on that one. Um it was nice to see Don Johnson camping it up. Um he was having a, he was having a great time. Um, and Lakeith Stanfield is always value for money entertainment. I think his his laid back very, very, very droll. Um, FBI agent, I think it was an FBI agent in this, was, was one of the highlights for me. I think he's great. Uh, he, yeah. he executes deadpan L- so well. Lakeith Stanfield's
0: <laughs> kind of the straight man to Daniel Craig in this thing. Yeah. Right? It's, it kind of double act develops because the opening sequences where you're having these interviews where uh, Stanfield and I, who's the, the second? There's three of them, isn't there? There's another person there who's, is, yeah. who's in that, in that, that team. Name, yeah. But yeah, they're firing questions at members of the family and then you've just got Daniel Craig sat in the background as if he's not involved in the situation and occasionally just pressing a key on the piano and then you have like quick cuts between different interviews where various member of the f- members of the family are, are saying variations on who the fuck is that guy like what what is that guy doing here what's his role in all this and it's only a little bit later on that Craig's character sort of stands up and introduces himself to the situation so the way that it opens out I think was sort of really appealing and got me on board and and like you said man it's it's enjoyable stuff is pretty intriguing stuff it's pretty appealing stuff to a wide audience and to see so many actors that we enjoy working you know on this kind of fun material as as you put it is is yeah a real pleasure i mean even someone like michael shannon who you're used to seeing in so many sort of gritty uh worn down stressed yeah. out you know uh, Uh, roles to see him here doing this kind of stuff is great too so yeah lots to like about it and it's difficult man because I think I have one or two other issues with the movie like small issues but I can't really talk about them unless we were to do spoilers which we're not
1: doing no it's no I I know where you come from it's very very difficult to go into that and you know we uh as much as as much as I have my issues with mr. Johnson still I'm not I'm not gonna go against his wishes we're not going to spoil the film
0: <laughs> no of course not uh, yeah and, and I mean the pleasure of a thing like this also is for people to go see it themselves and to enjoy and sort of unpick the mystery as they go along so yeah we would never never dream of stepping on that pleasure um, we though Paul have another pleasure at hand and that is the pleasure of counting down a top five uh, the top five that we're doing this week is top five horror films not of all time not of the decade but in fact of twenty 2019 this very year and this is all part of our lead up to the top 10 films of the year list that we always do at the end of the year in addition to our top 10 films of the decade which we're going to throw out in the next couple of weeks as well so top five horror films of 2019 will be coming up right after
1: this this was more slightly taxing list to put together this one pete uh, our top five horror films of 2019 because without i mean i don't think it's been a vintage year for horror in all honesty yeah. i think there's been there's no uh fair enough i think there's been some potential there's been some big hitters this year but i don't think anything has really lived up to expectation um i'll come to that when when we get to when we get to certain th- things on this list but i think audience members will probably be aware of some of the films that we're talking about. Um, so, but with, with that in mind, there have still been some enjoyable horror films this year. It's not been a complete write off. There's been some films that I've liked a lot, um, but I would say nothing really has blown me away in the same way that I would say like hereditary did last year or the witch or that kind of thing or some, or, or Babadook or some more recent, more recent horror hits. Um, but without further ado uh number five for me so this is number five my fifth favorite horror film of 2019 uh this is happy death day to you uh the sequel to uh cult favorite happy death day once again directed by christopher landon and starring jessica roth um if anyone's not familiar with happy death day jessica roth's character uh basically um keeps dying um and realizes and wakes up uh shortly after she's died at the beginning of the day again and tries to solve why she's dying this is the first film uh, the second film kind of picks up the similar premise she thinks she's she thinks she, um she thinks she's over this and she isn't um this probably takes a far more comedic tone than the first film there's more probably more sort of time travel back to the future comedy elements than there are horror elements but there are horror horror elements in here so I'm still having it as a horror film Yeah, this film took me by surprise, to be honest. I thought Happy Death Day uh, was great. I really, really liked it. And that took me by surprise even back then. So I thought, okay... Is a sequel going to work? I didn't think it was. I went into it with with low expectations and I just had a great time with it. I found it very, very funny. Um, I found it almost on a par with the first film, if I'm honest. I think it did enough different to warrant existence and I think Jessica Roth is the big appeal of this film. She's great in these films. I'm surprised we haven't seen her in more places. So yeah, Happy Death Day to you uh, is my number five. Nice. Yeah, um, I want to put in a, a couple of disclaimers.
0: Firstly, I haven't seen Doctor Sleep. Uh, sue me. I don't know uh and I haven't seen it either, yeah either. so we yeah we're both guilty of that and maybe it would have made the list maybe not that you know we'll never know uh however i do want to give a shout out to the hole in the ground which is a film that came close to making my top 5 and didn't little irish film with a big hole in the ground and a creepy kid and uh the line that something like 54321 you're not my son which kind of sent a chill up my spine this year didn't make the <laughs> list though so number 5 proper for me is Alexandra Ayer's movie Crawl which I saw as a sort of secret surprise uh, preview screening and it was a lovely odd surprise because I'm already on board with Alex Ayer even though he's done some things that I wouldn't necessarily rave to my mates about or people that I don't know so well this one is just this high concept idea where you've got uh, a big storm like a kind of tsunami and and the banks have burst on the river and massive alligators have got loose and they're going to cause all, all kinds of trouble to Uh, Kaya Scordelario's character and her character's father played by Barry Pepper who are trapped in a crawl space and uh uh-oh alligators Um, that's all you really need to know we reviewed it on the show it's a load of fun because what Alexia does really well is handles tension knows when to um, allow tension to build to ratchet up tension and then to reveal things without relying on what other people want to call jump scares if people tell you that this film's full of jump scares do not listen to them because they are incorrect because jump scares are largely predicated on just silent, uh, silent, silence, silence, loud noise. And it's not something that Alex I relies on, and I don't think ever really has in his career. I think Crawl's a better movie than some people gave it credit for, and I think it deserves to be on this list. So it is my number five, that's Crawl. Paul, what about number four for that you? That was
1: my number six, Pete, when I Ooh. finally came down to it. and I, But I did like Crawl a lot, so it came very close to this list, so I'm very glad it's on yours, sir. Nice. Um, number four for me is Us from Jordan Peele. Um, everyone will be aware of this. I think it hit pretty big at the beginning of the year uh it's a very very cool premise where you have um winston duke's our uh, uh, character played by winston duke and who else is in this and nyong'o's character as well their family is uh on a way at, no, at home i think aren't they if i remember rightly and they're they're pretty well-to-do family and they in their in their it's a it's big a big old house no
0: it's like a beach vacation they're on a beach vacation They've that's got a it. Big house. yeah sorry yeah
1: yeah, absolutely. So yeah, they're on a beach vacation, and then they are aware that they are being stalked by another family that looks that is identical copies of them. Um, it's a brilliant premise. The trailer was absolutely incredible. There's some fantastic use of the remix of "Lunas." I've got five on it. Is one of the most terrifying songs I've heard. Um, For me, I don't think all of this film worked. I'll be honest. I thought the first half lacked tension where it needed it, but I still maintain that the film is an interesting enough premise, and Jordan Peele is an interesting enough filmmaker for me to put this film on the list. I think there was there's a lot to like here. I think there's a lot of interesting themes that he brings up. There's a lot of interesting political themes brought up in this, and I thought the second half, and especially the finale, was absolutely superb. Um, So. Yeah, perhaps not as good as I'd hoped I don't think I enjoyed it as much as I thought I would but I still think it deserves a place on this list yeah, so that is us from Jordan Peele. Yeah, hol- Pete. Any
0: thoughts? Is this? Yeah, hold, hold your hand up to the screen, and on the other side is my hand, Paul.
1: My number four
0: is is also us from uh, right, okay. Jordan Peele. So yeah, maybe we had similar thoughts in so much as like you would expect something from Jordan Peele following up on you know the success of Get Out to maybe trouble the very top of a list like this when we're just going on twelve months in a specific genre. But I've put it at number four as well. Um, I think that the the films like packed full of so many ideas that sometimes it starts to give way at the seams a little bit. And I think that I I, I went with it for three quarters of the way and then I understood the choices that he made towards the end of the film I just didn't necessarily think that they were handled quite as well as they could be and I think that Jordan Peele set his own personal sort of bar so high with his debut that it's really a lot to live up to and I think that Us went a hell of a long way towards living up to that standard but maybe like I say it was so stuffed full of ideas and sort of um, big ideas as well, big ideas that relate not only to like conventions of horror but also to race relations and a connection with history and the history of race relations and like all manner of things that people can dig into and have dug into particularly if you go to certain corners of the internet in relation to us that at a certain point it's like um, when somebody tells you uh, people have told me this in my life you're you're too much in your own head And at Mm. times I felt like the film was maybe a little bit much in its own head and needed to get back into its own body, so to speak. So yeah, loads of great stuff in us. And I wish I could put it higher, but I've put it like you at number four. What is number three for you, Paul?
1: I'm torn. I've got an arrow here that goes up and down and then it's gone back up the other way and then it's going back up and down again. So I'm going to commit to it and I'm going to say my number three is... uh, I'm struggling here. My number three is Midsummer, directed by Ari Aster. Ari Aster's much-anticipated follow-up to Hereditary, uh, starring Florence Pugh. Um, who else have we got in this? Pete Jack. Oh, I want to say Jack something. Uh, I've completely forgot yes, his name. Yes, the guy who should in have written this down. Should I? Uh, the guy that's in the guy that's in what Richard did, and it would be up on my MDB page in a second. Yes. Yeah, so anyway, sorry. Jack this is Ari Rainer, actress, Paul Jack, Jack Rayner. That's it. Yeah, Jack Rayner. Uh, so Ari Aster, Jack Rayner. Um, Will, Poulter. Will Poulter's in this as well. This is Arias, as I said, Arias follow up to Hereditary. Um, it's a uh, bleak, um, a bleak folk horror, shall we say, that is also an incredible study of grief, uh, featuring a superb performance from Florence Pugh. Um, I mostly love this film. I have to say, I don't think it lives up to hereditary, because I don't think all the comedy works. If you listen back to previous episodes where we've this, I think with Gesso Zig Bingham way back, way back at towards the beginning of the year, um, I don't think all the comedy works for me. Um, I think the film is possibly slightly too long, but I'm intrigued to see what the director's cut brings because I think that's a bit longer. But when it works, it works remarkably well, and I think it is in a very effective horror film with some with some great performances and is certainly it sort of equally as good a study of grief as it is a horror film in its own right so sits quite high up the list for me um with some with some problems not quite as effective as relative for me but still a very very good horror so i've got a lot of time for midsummer uh hence why it's sitting at number three nice number three for me is a film that sort of surprised me
0: with how high of a regard I, i've held it in since seeing it and and sort of how high it potentially might get on my end of year lists of overall it is piercing Uh, This film from director Nicholas Pesci um, and from the source, I believe, short novella from Rio Murakami, the guy also responsible for, um, oh, I forgot the name of this last time. Uh, the Deeper, 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 Razor Wire, Cheese Wire, Cutting Off the Guy's Legs, Japanese movie. Uh, audition. Yes, thank you very much. I don't know why it's happened both <laughs> it's times. The same, it was the same prompts as well. <laughs> I know, I know. Yes, so the, yeah, the same guy who wrote the source material of Audition, which is a, a movie that, that changed me, I think, when I was a younger man. Um, yes, why is piercing here? What is piercing? Maybe not enough people have seen it. I think it is still streaming, perhaps on Netflix. I'm pretty certain it's streaming on Netflix at the moment. Uh, the premise here, a man kisses his wife and baby goodbye and seemingly heads away on business with a plan to check into a hotel, call an escort service and kill an unsuspecting prostitute. The prostitute here is played by Mia Vasikovska, and the man in question is played by Christopher Abbott who is a guy um, that I've just been so impressed with in almost everything that he's done. He was in It Comes at Night but like a lot of, a lot of other bits and pieces as well. Um, yeah, it's this movie about like... It's about the sort of presentation of the film in a a sort of sense, uh, recording things like the best Brian De Palma. It's as much as about its its aesthetic as it is about its content. But the content of the movie is this power struggle between two people who are both sort of fulfilling and abusing each other. Maybe it's an allegory for a relationship. Who knows? A more intelligent person than me would have to explain that to you. But yeah, um, I'm being facetious because I just think more people should see piercing and I think it's going to be one of those that's going to sort of fly under the radar and I've not put it on here as some sort of charity case because I want people to see it I've put it on here because it's a really good movie and uh, you know anyone who's seen Mia Wasikowska as well elsewhere will know that she is I think one of the best actresses of her generation so uh, if these two people have signed on to the material that should give you an indication that maybe it's worth your time I mean horror mystery thriller is what the IMDB describes this as and so it's not a straight up horror movie if you're looking for a you know a straight up and down horror movie probably look elsewhere but this is an intriguing thoughtful quite gruesome uh hour and 21 minutes it's it's a scant running time and it's well worth the time that one's piercing my number three what's number two for you paul
1: Uh, Number two for me is, I suppose it's a comedy as much as it's a horror. Again, this is the latest film from Peter Strickland, which is In Fabric. Um, This is a film, uh, to read the IMDb for you, this is a haunting ghost story sent against the backdrop of a busy winter sales period in a department store, and it follows the life of a cursed dress as it passes from person to person with devastating consequences, um so yeah from Peter Strickland anyone familiar with his work you should know to expect the unusual um and uh once again a bit like Barbarian Sound Studio it is a beautiful love letter to Giello films without without a shadow of a doubt here um central to the success of this film is an excellent performance from Marion Jean-Baptiste um who is very, very good here. Um, the the whole concept of, uh, it's just, yeah, it's an incredible love letter to things like Suspiria. You've got a coven of witches that are in the department store. It's just incredibly beautifully shot. There's, like, it looks fantastic. It's very, very over the top. It's very, very silly in places. And I think it, it works remarkably well. It reminded me of a, there's a film called Deathbed, The Bed That Eats, if anyone's out there has seen that. And we've gone pretty cult there. Kind of evoked that kind of, that kind of 70s horror vibe. I really, really like this. It's it's difficult to describe. It's I'm going to use that term that people hate. It certainly won't be for everyone. If you've seen a Peter Strickland film, you kind of know what to expect. And I think you will take a lot from this. If you haven't seen a Peter Strickland film and you are giggling at the thought of a film about a killer dress, probably stay well clear of this. But for me, I loved it. It just looked incredible. I think Peter Strickland is a very, very talented filmmaker, uh, and hence why this uh, in fabrics it's at number two on my list.
0: Yeah, still haven't seen it, and that's a that's a big miss. I mean, uh, okay. It was a pretty limited should, cinematic should. run, and then um,
1: I don't think... I think it did Curzon. I think it did on Home Cinema for about two weeks, which is where I got to pick it up. I think right, right, uh, and right. then disappeared again. So I'm not sure where we are with it at the moment. I would hope it's out on Blu-ray somewhere, but I don't know.
0: Yeah, hopefully it'll get yeah Blu-ray or, or streaming or something like that soon. Um, but yeah, t- like. I I'm on board, for sure. Uh, number two for me, it has already been mentioned. This is Midsummer from Ari Aster. As Paul has explained, um, you know, the basic setup of to the movie. I won't do that again. Um, what do I like about this movie? What makes it horrifying is uh, basically the way that, as I mentioned, when I reviewed it in popcorn movies like, uh, what, a month or so ago, um, Ari Aster's got this incredible knack of being able to uh, encapsulate the horror of being in a bad place when intoxicated, or I should say more specifically, on mind-altering drugs. And that's a real, real niche of horror that I think he's underexplored to be honest. And I think that the way that he does that here with Florence Pugh and sort of magic mushrooms early on in the, in the descent, if you will, um, that her character goes through after the horrendous, horrendous family tragedy at the beginning of the movie is um, it's really well placed and really well handled. I know that there have been people who've sort of criticized Asta for going back to, um, you know, the, the, the the sins of the family or sort of like a family crises being the um, the sort of spark that sets into motion the events of another Ari Aster movie uh, just like in hereditary but I do think that there was still interesting uh, ground to be covered like fertile ground to be covered here and covered in a different way um, also the section that deals with the rights of the group uh in sweden who end their own lives from by sort of swallow diving off a cliff is a special kind of horrifying as well i think yes. and, and again handled very very well i think where midsummer maybe uh, founded and sort of faltered for me is um the criticism that i leveled at us as well is it feels kind of overstuffed in its last act um and it feels like the director doesn't quite know how to bring the film in. Um, there, it, it, I just wanted some some tighter maybe edits on sections that start to lean into being a little bit self indulgent. I, I guess yeah. I guess I might level at the later part of the movie and because the score here is so abrasive uh, that's not necessarily a bad thing far from it when you're dealing with horror material a lot of the time or this kind of murky business but it becomes grueling and that grueling nature of the movie is a strength that later becomes I think a little bit of a weakness and slightly undercuts the experience or maybe deadens the audience a little bit to what's going on on screen so having said all that I think it's an excellent follow-up to a really excellent feature debut and I'm well on board for whatever Ariaster does next. And that's
1: why Midsummer is my number two horror film of 2019. Paul, we're up to number one. We are up to number one. And people out there are gonna go, what the fuck are you talking about? I know people are gonna hate this choice, but I don't care because it's my number one. It's Wounds Pete from Bambak Bam- Anvari. Like I maintain I've read so much more criticism of this film now, and I don't care. Um, I we've we've talked about this before. If a film delivers atmosphere in if a film can deliver that mu- this much atmosphere, in my lounge, I'm only gutted I didn't it didn't get a big screen release. Like, yes, it has. Yes, it has faults. Yes, the story is vague. Uh, sometimes it doesn't make a lot of sense. I, I will give you that. And yeah, arguably, it doesn't do enough with some of its ideas. Complete, completely on board with all of that. I completely get that criticism of this film. But for me, it had such a good atmosphere and such a good ending and some some brilliant performances from especially from Army Hammer. Like i didn't care i just this for me is the one horror film the one horror film this year that had me absolutely riveted to the screen from start to finish i thought the pacing was incredible i thought it was incredibly well shot and i i yeah it, it genuinely, genuinely shit me up for want of a for one of a better term uh it, it it really did um and that yeah wounds is my number one you can we reviewed it quite recently so i'm not going to go into too much detail for risk of repeating myself but yeah i know there's people out, i know there's a lot of people out there who don't like it I know I'm bucking the trend of popular opinion. Uh, I'm not doing it deliberately. I genuinely loved wounds. I thought it was a fantastic. Yeah, man, and like I don't I don't think you need to come on here, pick your number
0: one, and then defend every single criticism (laughs) that might be levelled at it. I mean, I I just think put anything you want at number one. Uh, And I would say if we went granular enough, which we're not going to for, you know, lack of time, and we picked our top five horror scenes or horrifying scenes of 2019, a particular sequence involving sitting on a chair, looking at a laptop and being discovered. Yeah. by your partner would be yeah. right up there. <laughs> Absolutely, uh, it, yeah. Yeah, the, the film as a whole didn't make my list. It was actually my number seven. But okay. I think that Baba Kanvari has you know, uh, garnered enough credit from this podcast that I totally understand why he'd be high up on your list and his new movie would be. And also, anybody who liked even a little bit wounds has to go back and watch under the shadow because it's oh, such a great sure. movie as well and too too underseen i think very much underseen by a sort of wider audience so um yes and and i'm still slightly in love with Nargis rashidi who was the uh, lead in under the shadow <laughs> so you know that's something else So, Paul, I don't know if my number one is controversial or not. It might be controversial to the extent that people think that this isn't truly a horror movie or not specific enough to make a list like this for a genre like this one. But my number one for uh, my favourite horror movie of 2019 is Ready or Not. Uh, Ready or Not, a movie that... I kind of fell in love with a little bit uh, not least because I just think Samara Weaving at the centre of this thing is absolutely phenomenal just like smashes it out the park you have a pretty simple setup which is Samara Weaving's character is getting married to a sort of horsey fella who comes from a family who have an awful lot of money and an awful lot of privilege privilege I should say and live in a huge house and they also have a family tradition The family tradition is that on the night of a wedding where somebody else is joining the family through wedlock, they're going to play a game. A game that is randomly selected and a game that they must play to completion or else there is some kind of hex upon the household. Uh, The game obviously is, if you've seen any of the trailers or publicity, let alone the film itself, uh, the game that is chosen for them is a kind of hide-and-seek except involving deadly force and deadly weaponry. Uh, It's loads of fun. I mean, you've seen Ready or Not, Pool.
1: Yeah, I really liked it. I said it would have been probably top ten, if not well not top five, because for me it was a little bit too much like um the film that I've completely forgotten the name of because I forgot you were gonna I didn't realize you were gonna ask me that.
0: Oh, oh you're you're talking about um your next. Your
1: next, yeah. For me it was a little bit too much like your next to, to really be considered original. But I'm I'm totally with you on all of your all of your praise. I had a great time with it. Like it was a very pleasant surprise for me. Um so yeah, I'm not surprised it's I'm not surprised it's high up your list. Uh, yeah, sure. and I'm
0: not—I'm not really putting it at number one for originality. I'm no. just putting it at number one for for execution. uh for, forgive the pun. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I just think that like. You can you can see in the best way possible that people are having fun here. Like whether it's Samara Weaving, who as I said is amazing, or it's uh, Adam Brody, who plays this sort of semi-likeable brother character, who may or may not be a help to uh, Weaving in sort of keeping her life until the morning comes. It just is a film that I just felt like got its own tone and its own like I say execution of the events so pitch perfect and it absolutely knew what its audience wanted and it delivered that and then the way that they bring it into land I mean talking about maybe Midsummer being a bit overstuffed at its end or us being a little bit in its own head I think that the way that this thing comes to a Close comes to a climax, comes to an explosive finale. is just so memorable and so well done. And then the imagery that you have with the central character in her bridal wear at the end of the thing, just sort of bathed <laughs> in blood and 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 kind of horror, is is fantastic. And I think definitely qualifies it for a horror list. So yeah, I really really liked it, and I'm looking forward to. I'm going to rewatch it as soon as I possibly can. I'm looking forward to rewatching it now. Maybe on rewatch, I'll I'll realise oh I've over egged the pudding here, and it should be lower down and maybe Maybe it won't be on my top 10 of the year list, but, but we'll see. But for right now, when I came to make this list, I thought, well, which horror movie really stayed with me for, you know, whatever reason, whether it's super disturbing and memorable for that reason, like Midsummer, or whether it's just like knockabout explosive bloody fun like this one. One of those movies had to win and it was ready or not in, in my case. So that's my number one horror movie of 2019 Paul. Um I think that was a really good top five. But before we check out on this episode uh, and go to bed, because we're recording pretty late tonight... Have you got any credit? We usually do a section at the end of the show called credits where we credit anything from the world, not even the world of film. Have you got anything particular that you wanted to draw attention to as a sort of recommendation to the listeners for today? Uh, I've
1: been on, as well as watching uh, The Mandalorian, I've been watching Watchmen, the HBO series, um, which is a lot better than I thought it would be, Pete. I'll I'll be entirely honest with you. Um, It's kind of a... It's a sequel slash... Well, it's definitely set up as a sequel to the Watchmen comic, which is one of my favourite comics of all time. I think it's fantastic. Um, and set kind of now... Um, well, set in the, set in the current, current day in an alternative... Uh, universe where Robert Redford is president and has is giving out reparation payments to anyone that's a victim of racial violence um, and a kind of similar group to the Ku Klux Klan has been established has been established and they all wear the masks of Rorschach and you sort of take him as as their hero and then the police um, are now have to be masked because they keep they keep getting attacked so it's set in this kind of dystopian almost dystopian alternative dystopian current time really um and it's great so far is there's an air of mystery to it that i'm I no idea where it's going um it's really really well shot and i, I like a lot of the ideas here and uh, i think it's going to shape up to be something rather good indeed so i'm impressed with the route they've taken with it i was expecting it to be a straight remake and it's not and i think it's, it's it's so far so good so yeah i like it i like it many two episodes in to be fair there's i think six or eight available now but yes yeah, worth worth and is it
0: is it Prime Video this? Uh
1: week? no, Now TV this is on. Oh, Just right, right. It's a HBO, yeah, a HBO thing. so Or Sky Atlantic, possibly, if you've got Sky. But. Nice.
0: Um, my recommendation for this week, then, is also a televisual kind of a one, I suppose. Uh, and it's also available for streaming. It is Breakfast, Lunch and Dinner, streaming at the moment on Netflix. This one is non-fiction. It is a sort of travelogue show, not unlike something like Travel Man with uh, Richard Iowadi. But in this case, we have the, um, I would say Celebrity Chef, although I don't think I knew of him before this, David Chang. Uh, David Chang has got two Michelin stars, which is, you know, enough enough for me to believe that he is indeed a chef of some repute. Uh, and on each episode, he travels to a different part of the world and goes there liking Travel Man with Richard Iowadi with a celebrity friend <laughs> or acquaintance. Uh, so we start off with a, a fantastic episode. It's like, four, these are maybe 45 minutes. The first one is Seth Rogen shows him Vancouver, which is where Rogen grew up. So the episode is characterised by smoking lots of wood, uh going to the place that sells apparently the sort of best donuts in north america um and then just tripping around having a lovely old time and digging into both the culinary side of things as much as you can when you're almost perma high uh but then also seth rogan's career and the work that he does and sort of his motivations and how he works and that kind of stuff both the guys come across really really well we've got other episodes uh, Chrissy Teigen goes to Marrakech. It's pretty good we've got one with uh, Kate McKinnon in Phnom Penh in Cambodia which is the capital city of Cambodia which a uh, place where I've spent some time uh, Kate McKinnon fantastic company David Chang I think in all of these is, is really good company so yeah I would really recommend the series there are only four so far and it seems like they threw out four all at once whether there's going to be a series two or more episodes remains to be seen but I think there's some really good stuff in there for right now i mean if you hate kate mckinnon and seth rogan and chrissy Teigen and stuff then probably <laughs> give it a swerve but if you like food and travel and maybe those people then it's really good
1: um that's me done right well that brings us to setting up well we'll have some shows up next week we definitely will have uh james ewan is going to be joining us next week for the irishman uh, feature review um you would have seen it at that point i think i think i saw it last week uh so Excited to talk about that um, and at some point next week will be, I think next week, once I pull my finger out and finally nail down my film, my best top, my favourite 10 films of the decade uh at some point next week we're recording that when that goes live i don't know but look out for some additional shows between now and the new year because we are running out of 2019 uh but for this week's show that brings us to the end so if you like what you've heard please review us uh find us on at strangers cinema on instagram and strangers cinema on facebook at Stranger cinema on twitter all of the social medias p all of the social medias uh and obviously you can find the show where you can find podcasts spotify uh apple Podcasts. i think it's called now as uh, stitcher wherever you find podcasts really uh, but that's it from me so goodbye and thanks for listening yes goodbye shut up
0: and sit down